So, we are going to now begin the story of the Shapiro brothers from Slavita, Rabbi Avram Abba and Rabbi Shmuel Shapiro, and their arrest and their torture. And with that story, we will also include the whole story of the Rebbe Sefer Teira. You know, the, the picture of the Rebbe holding the, uh, the, the tiny little Sefer Teira, right? So that, we're going to go through the whole story. One summer afternoon, <clears throat> this is in 1835, Rebbe Senger, he was the Shamish in the shul in Slavita. He unlocks the door. He comes into the shul to clean up a bit, like he did every afternoon, and to his great shock and horror, he saw Laser Protagon, a member of a Jewish member of the community, hanging from one of the beams, as in like hanging from a noose, like he was he died. He was hanged to death. And he right away runs out and he cries for help. Imagine the guy comes into the shul to clean up the shamash and he sees a dead guy hanging from the, from the ceiling. Now some guys were passing by, they rush in, they take down the body, and others went to call a doctor, others went to call the police. And the doctor arrives, he right away tries to wake up Laser, but he said it's, it's too late to save Laser's life and uh, now the authorities began an investigation. What happened over here? How did he die? And although they didn't see any signs that anyone did anything to him, meaning it looked as if he had hanged himself, um, they were pretty certain that he committed suicide. Killed himself. And however, you don't just assume that, right? You have to you know, you do an investigation. And following the protocol, what, like what was the normal thing to do, they informed the, they were like the local police, so they also told the police of the entire area. And they also told the community they're not allowed to move the body until the investigation is completed. Four days later, the, 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 the regional authorities, the, the, the police of the entire area, they begin their own investigation. And they also agreed that it didn't look like there was any fight over here. And the only person involved in the tragedy of Laser Protagon's death was Laser Protagon, who was known to be a shikar, and he suffered a lot of depression, and he hanged himself. That was it. That's what it looked like. Laser was then buried, and ending, right? Case is over. Apparently not. There was a very vicious, bitter, anti-Semite Galach, a priest of a, of a neighboring town. And he decided to use this tragedy as an opportunity to accuse the Jews of murder. So before we continue with the story of the Slavita brothers, we need a little bit of background information. So he, this Galach wanted to improve, uh, 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 accuse the Yidin of, of uh, 
basically a blood libel. Now, throughout the centuries, there have been many blood libels, unfortunately. And the, the last public trial of a blood libel against the Jewish community in, uh, this is in, in 1913, a little over 100 years ago, the, there was a Yid by the name of Menachem Mendel Bayless. So we're going to learn about that whole, the Bayless story much later in the year. We learned the Rebbe Rashab story. Um, so, so, so here's the background information to know what was going on in Russia at that time. Now, in general, there was a dislike for Yidin by the Goyim. But there was also specific accusations against the Yidin in this area over that area. <clears throat> when, when, when they said, oh, we're going to put the Shapiro brothers on trial, they're not putting the Shapiro brothers on trial. They're putting the Jew on trial. Uh, it happens to be we chose these two guys. But if they're guilty, it means everyone's guilty. Which is how it unfortunately works. Whenever you had a case of a blood libel and one Jew was accused, if, he was if, he was, if the court decided he was guilty, what happened right afterwards? Pagram! Gonna burn the Jewish town to the ground. Why? It was only that guy was accused? Because you're not accusing one person, you're accusing the community. All Jews. Now, it may have been apparent that at the time of these few stories that we're about to say, um, how, how, how these stories played a role in the case of the Shapiro brothers, um, it, it, might, you know, it might not seem like it, <clears throat> but we have documents now that are available that weren't available decades ago that you're able to see that the Mamish did play a very big role in the arrest of the Shapiro brothers. So we're going to go through a few stories now, things that led up to the Shapiro brothers' arrest beforehand. So in 1833, there was an accusation brought against the Yidin of the town of Zaslov. Four Yidin were accused of robbing a large sum of money from a guy and cutting off the tip of his tongue. Huh? Tip of the tongue, cut it off. And <clears throat> there was a Jewish Stadlin. A Stadlin is a guy who like represents the community to the, like, and he, and he has connections with, with all the people with the government. So his name was Mordechai Haberman. He successfully proved how this whole story was baloney. And now, so the criminal court freed them. But the governor of, of the region of Kiev, he was hoping for a different uh, verdict. So he therefore appealed the court's decision to the Russian Senate. Similar to what happened with the, with the Mitlerebbe, right? That it wasn't enough that this court said he's innocent. No, we're going to go higher. Four years later, in 1837, the Senate agree, uh, uh, reaffirmed, they, they agreed with what the <coughs> low, <coughs> lower court's uh, decision, 
that the, these four Jews are innocent and they said everything is false and anyone who made up the story should be punished. Now, in the meantime, while this whole story was going on, so that's the first story, right? At, while this whole story is going on, it was on the day after Tisha B'Av, the following year, this is 1834, four Jews from the town of Old Constantine, that's what the town was called, were accused of giving a bris milah to a Goyish boy and taking his blood for a Jewish, you know, ritual. Who knows what they're going to do with the blood? And an, an investigation was done, and the medical doctors came, and they're going, they went like, I'm sorry, this boy did not have a bris bichlal, meaning he still has his urla there. And that cleared also the accused. However, there was a galach, who was a very big anti-Semite, he sent this accusation to an organization which we're going to learn a lot about starting from now. We're going to, it's going to come up a lot called the Third Section. So the Third Section was what we would call like in the time of communism, the KGB or the NKVD, right? It's all the same organization that just keeps changing their name, right? And in the time of the of, of the, when, when the, when the Friedrich Rebbe was arrested, it was called the NKVD. Later, in the 1950s, after Stalin died, when, when uh, Khrushchev became in charge, so everything got changed around, and they, they, they started calling it the KGB. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all the same idea. Right? So at that time, it was called the Third Section. And this Galach asked the Third Section to investigate. So imagine... Think of it like in communist Russia times, a guy sends a message saying, hey, I think my neighbor is guilty of something, and he sends it to the KGB. The KGB doesn't need a lot of proof to go and arrest that person, right? They'll just arrest him. Now, this Galach was the same Galach that was involved in the, in the other story, in, in the Zaslov story, the first story we mentioned. However, at, that, at this time, the Senate didn't finish their looking into it. And they didn't declare him a liar yet. So, the head of the third section, his name was Count Benkendorf. I don't even think he was originally from Russia. Because I once did some research on him. There's, there's like pictures of him, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So, he was, this guy, Count Benkendorf, was known to hate the Yidin. And he accepted this accusation as if it was like a fact. And he sent his deputy... Captain Vasilov to investigate. Now knowing that most of the nobility, the, the Khashiva people, the dukes and the princes and all that stuff, that uh, they believe that the Jews were evil. So Vasilov, he made up evidence and he, and he made up testimony and he came to the conclusion that the, the libel, right, the blood libel, was definitely true and that the Jews were guilty. However, there were so many like differences between the stories and like straight out lies in his report that <clears throat> even when he gave this whole report and he said, oh, see how guilty the Jews are? The, the criminal court in Kiev, they declared that the Jews were innocent and that the accuser should be punished. Because the, 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 the Tsar made a gzeira, interestingly, 
that he said it's it is you are it's forbidden to make up a false blood libel. <laughs> you can only make, you can only say a real one, right? So he said anyone who makes a fake blood libel gets punished. Now these were two situations. These were two cases where you could see how easy it is it was to accuse a Jew even of the most disgusting crimes without any proof. And it wasn't like, oh, we got a phone call, this happened, let's look into it, and they look into it and, ah, it's nothing. It took years to, to, till the whole thing was over. However, at the same time, it also shows, to a certain degree, that even with all these terrible anti-Semites out there, that the Yidin could be dealt with, meaning, they did, there, was a, there was a little bit of honesty there. At the end of the day, both cases, the Jews were declared innocent. But there was a third accusation that aroused the anger of the Russian nobles against the Yidin of, of, of the entire Russia. This case had terrible consequences, not only for the Yidden who were accused of being involved, but for the entire Jewish community of Russia. And it definitely played a severe role, in, I'm sorry, in a, a, a large role in the, in the punishment that the Shapiro brothers would get. This following story. So again, this is all a background to what was going on in Russia at that time to understand why the Shapiro brother case was handled the way it was handled. In 1827, this is almost, uh, almost 10 years before the story of the Shapiro brothers, Russia began drafting Jews into the army. Right, so we already went through this a lot, and you had these... Uh, Eventually, it led to a situation where there were Jewish kidnappers. And everyone knew who the Jewish kidnappers were. The problem is everyone's scared of them because if you mess with them, they're going to go to the police and say, hey, I'm an officer of the Tsar and that guy's messing with me and he needs to get arrested. So everyone's scared to start up with these people. But again, most people knew who they were. Now, two of these sick, disgusting Yidden, self-hating Jews, lived in the area of Ushitsa. It's an area. Now, after they <clears throat> informed on many families, they were maestrim. They would go to the government and they would say, hey, you know, that, that family's hiding a boy in their house and that family's hiding a boy. And they, and they, would, go, and they would get people arrested left and right. They, this family didn't register their children. These two people disappeared one day. <laughs> you can imagine what happened to them, right? 1836, disappeared. No one, heard, no one heard from them, no one saw them. A few months later, a third miser, a buddy of these two guys, he found the bodies of his two friends Rishoyim, Axman, and Schwarzman in the forest. That was their names. And evidently, by looking at the bodies, they could tell that they were murdered. No kidding. And 
an official investigation was done and while it wasn't known which Jew or Jews murdered these two agents of the Tsar but their actions definitely they wouldn't act without going to the Rav first and asking the Rav are we allowed to kill this person? the, 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 the Rabbanim Minushitza, right? They, they, they for sure knew about it because there's not, nobody, no yid would ever go and kill somebody else without getting permission from a rav. So the community leaders <clears throat> were punished severely. <coughs> as well as anyone who this third person, who unfortunately wasn't killed with the other two, he, if he said these five people spoke out and said about bad against Maisrim, they were also severely punished. Some were even executed, killed. Now, although the authorities punished everyone who could have been involved or had a connection with the Ushitsa story, the Russian officials were convinced, just like it happened in this Jewish community, the same thing would happen in any Jewish community. And when this laser protagon was found dead, so someone said, hey, you know, laser informed against the Shapiro brothers for printing illegal svarim. And uh, so obviously, the people that he informed against, the Shapiro brothers, had him, either killed him themselves or had him killed. Without a doubt, the Shapiro brothers were involved. Now, the, the basis for this was so strong that the prosecutors refused to even look at any other possibility that maybe someone else did it, maybe he killed himself. They were so sure the Shapiro brothers did it. And this Galach wrote that he got a page of, of a Sefer they printed, a Shulchan Aruch, the section of Yeridea, which discusses the laws about when it is permissible to kill a miser. And he claimed that it was printed with Shapiro's brother, with, by, by the Shapiro brothers, without the censor giving permission for that to be printed. <coughs> so that, that's the background of the story. So now going back to our story. <coughs> so he said this Galach had a page from Yeridea, which was printed in Slavita which said that a Yid who has informed to the authorities against his Jewish brothers may be killed. Now since Lazar was an informer, obviously he was killed by the Yidin who would benefit from his silence, the Shapiro brothers. <clears throat> right, and as the Galach says, continues, we know that two years ago, the Jews in Oshitsa killed two informers. And, and that already poisoned, any time you had someone in charge, when he hears about these things, he goes, of course the Jews are innocent of killing informers. It wasn't even like, like a debate. It's like an obvious thing. So the ministers decided they're going to look into it. If this accusation 
could be presented as truth, it would be the perfect reason to close the Slavita press, as well as many other Jewish printing, printing presses. So the count decided, this Count Benkendorf, the head of the third section, he decided to conduct his own investigation. And he did because the reason why he wanted to do his own because he was worried that the other investigators that all said the Jew, that, that the that, that laser killed himself, can sign they were bribed by, by uh, the Yidden to say whatever, you know, whatever they wanted. So <coughs> he handpicked an officer and instructed him to find the killer of laser, the loyal informer. <coughs> now the wording of the Count's request made it very clear that he expected that in this new investigation, they should be found innocent. They should, I'm sorry, that they should be found guilty. So the investigator wrote exactly what the Count wanted to hear, that the previous two investigations were not accurate, and he discovered that Laser didn't kill himself, and rather, he was hanged by some unknown person. And to keep the focus on the Shapiro brothers, so the investigator confiscated from their possession 12 books that had statements that were forbidden to be printed. And we will continue tomorrow.